Good morning. Good morning. If you're in the foyer, come on in, trickle in, let's go. Time's a ticking. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> um, good morning. Welcome to Trinity. Um, if you guys didn't notice, or hopefully you did, this past Friday was Veterans Day. And so before we do anything this morning, we want to just take a minute and recognize um, the veterans that we have as part of our church family. And so if you have served in our armed forces, we'd love to take a second. If you would, wouldn't mind standing, um, we just want to say thank you. It's such a sacrifice. It's such a, um, it's huge for us. So we just want to say thank you to you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you know how loved you are. Um, so we have a couple of announcements this morning. The first one being that um, we have an announcement about the youth group on November 20th. The youth group is going to be doing something called a I'm gonna mess it up again. A progressive dinner. My mom called it a perpetual dinner, and now I can't get that P word out of my head. It's a progressive dinner, though. Um, and so what that means is that the youth group is gonna be traveling from house to house to house, eating and hanging out with to individual families from our church. So if you are someone who's like, oh, I love making food, or I can order food, but I'd love to get, our, get to know our youth group, we'd love to have you sign up to host, um, it's about 12 to 15-ish people who would be coming to eat. There is someone, aka me, who already signed up for dessert. So, so if you want to host for appetizers or the main like dinner course, that'd be great. Um, the kids are awesome, and it's just cool like to get to know the different generations in our church. So if you have that ability, um, feel free to talk to Tara and sign up. Um, and then the second announcement is you've probably noticed we have a Christmas tree outside in the foyer. Yes. Okay, so some people look at that and they're like, woohoo, Christmas is coming, and I feel that too, but I'm also like, guys, it's not even Thanksgiving, what? And it like, but it's for a purpose. So the, the Christmas tree out there is a reminder that we're hosting something called the Angel Tree this year. And so we're gonna be hosting a Christmas party and getting gifts for, I think it's 35 um, families who one of the parents is incarcerated and has become part of this prison ministry and now is an outreach to their children um, will be helping to provide Christmas gifts for them this year and um, if you I would encourage every single person here to go out pray about picking up a ticket um, that is by the tree there are like names and information about specific kids who you can and then buy a gift for and be kind of their like sponsor-ish this Christmas. And then on December 17th, we'll be hosting that Christmas party. So if you're someone who's like, I love parties, I love Christmas, that's a great chance for you to come and volunteer um, to just help with hosting this Christmas party. It's gonna be beautiful. It's gonna be a time of um, family and just um, Christmas. It's beautiful. So feel free to sign up for that. Um, you can take a ticket, get a gift, or volunteer to be someone who hosts that Christmas party um, and let us know if you're interested, okay? I'm rambling, so let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for this morning. I thank you um, for our veterans, Lord. I thank you that you have called specific people to defend our freedoms, Lord, and we're just so grateful for them. I thank you for this time where we can come and worship you. God, I just pray that 
he would fill this room, Lord, that above everything else that we talk about today, that your name would be glorified. Um, God, I pray that the songs that we're about to sing would be pleasing to you, that they'd be a sacrifice that's, um, that's just sweet, smells sweet to you, Lord. We love you. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, will you stand with us? We're going to sing. gives each of us a story, right? He works differently in all of our lives. And so Ron has um, been willing to share a little bit of his testimony. So Ron, we'd love for you to, to do that now. Praise the Lord. Gloria adios. 
Psalm 69.30 says, I will praise the name of God with a song and shall magnify him with thanksgiving. And Psalm 126.3 says, The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Well, when you look at me today, and I've told you some of you this already, a few anyway here and there, you're actually looking at a miracle. Now, all of us are miracles, right? We're born into this world. That's a miracle. But as a baby, I came close to dying until my mother just turned me over to God, God and said, here, he's yours. And God spared me. That was grace. And then 16 years later, having heard the gospel many times, you know, I grew up in a church where the gospel was preached. But finally, at a revival, oh, man, what's that word, huh? Revival. You know what a revival is? You don't hear much of those anymore, do you? But it was at a revival where a sermon was preached about hellfire. And I wasn't a really bad kid, but I was still a sinner. And that day, I came down to an altar, which you don't see much in, in churches anymore either. And I gave my life to Christ, and he came in. The Spirit of God came in. Now, I, 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 I don't have time to really go into detail about all the things that have occurred in my life since the time that I gave my life to Jesus. But he has done many, many, many things. I was healed at 11 before I ever knew Christ from asthma. And I mean, you know, when it happened, as far as I remember, I never had another asthma attack. And uh, there have been other things that have occurred. I've seen God spare me, spare my life. And, you know, if you want to know more about that later, you can talk to me and I'll tell you some of the things that have happened. Some of them are kind of humorous, you know, but they could have been disastrous as well. But you know what? Uh, I read a devotional. I have a devotional that I use at home by a man called uh, Bob Goff, G-O-F-F. -F. He's, he's a, quite a character in his uh, writings, but boy, he hits you sometimes between the eyes. And he was talking in one of the devotionals recently about, you know, you've heard the expression, is your glass half full or half empty? Right? And he said, well, I can look at it a different way. There are things in the glass. I got a bunch of M&Ms in here. And they're good, right? Already I've been asked, is that for me? <laughs> well, you know what these kind of represent? The things that God has done for us. Good things. Most of you probably like M&Ms. Okay? God does good things, many good things for us. By the way, that's in a crystal glass, you know? 
God gives us his spirit like he did me. Many of you, of course, have experienced that. But, and of course, the greatest thing that happened to me was Jesus coming in. And having lived uh, up until where I'm at right now, you know, 63 years, Jesus Christ has been with me. He will continue to be with me until he does take me into his presence. However he does it. Maybe, maybe he's coming soon. I hope he is. But I'm encouraging each of you today, as it says in Hebrews, don't harden your heart if the Spirit of God speaks to you about turning your life over to Jesus, don't hesitate to do it. I wouldn't trade anything I've gone through today, no matter how hard, because Jesus has been there all the way. Praise his name. think about how that looks and what it means to follow after Jesus. Ron's right, there's nothing like it. And whatever trouble it is that you face, whatever hardship, we may not know why it is that God has allowed us to go through that. But yet, as we follow after him, he meets us in our trouble. So if you're in trouble right now and you can't find your way out, consider giving your life to Jesus. It's this simple. I'm going to pray a prayer. Maybe it's a prayer you've never prayed before. Maybe it's one you have prayed before. It's so easy. Yeah. Come to the Father. Accept that gift of Jesus. Please pray with me. Father, thank you that even though we are so far from you, even though there's nothing good about us, that yet you, in your mercy, desired to have a relationship with us. But because you're such a holy God, that our sin stood between us. And so that you, in your Trinitarian uh, essence, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that Jesus came to redeem us. So, Father, I confess right now, again, that I'm unworthy. No matter how far or how fast I could run, that it would never be enough to satisfy your perfection. Father, I recognize that. Father, I apologize. I'm so sorry for the things that I've done that offend you. Father, I know I can't do it by myself, but that you have made a way for me because of Jesus. Today, God, I place my trust in Jesus, that he's the one who paid for my sins. Father, I want this new life. Father, give me new life. For those of us who are here today and if our hearts have grown cold or distant, Father, rekindle, like Ron said, a revival. Bring back to life, God. We want that. We're not coming on Sunday morning just to show up or just to do something for a cultural thing. It's because we want to know you, God. So please give us more of you. Father, thank you that as soon as we have asked for your forgiveness, as soon as we say, Jesus, I trust you your sacrifice for me that your holy spirit comes in and that you make us new and so father make each of us new
bring to our minds those things where we're still short so that we don't grieve your Holy Spirit, but that you can have your way in and through us, that we would each have testimonies and that you would bring us back with a story to tell of how this blessed assurance has made such a difference in our lives. God, you're the only one who can do that. And so that's what we ask for now. Father, thank you that you save us. Thank you that you work in our lives. Hear us now as we give our thanks to you. In Jesus' name, amen. some things that God brought forward in your heart of things that needed to be confessed and last week we prayed together as a congregation and so we're going to take that opportunity again right now and it's pretty rare that we confess in front of each other you know there are certain things that are something that God is working on between you and your pastor and him like those things we're not necessarily asking for right now but if there's something that you feel like is holding you back from being able to accept that free gift completely or is keeping you from that heart of gratitude, that thankfulness, like we just sing about, give thanks to the Holy One, right? If there's something that's keeping you back from that, we just want to take a second right now to say those things out loud, something that is just that last little hurdle. So I know for me, a lot of the time, what holds me back is pride. Like, I just struggle with my pride a lot. I look for the approval 
in favor of people more than I do of God, and I think that that's based on my, I want to look good on the outside. And so, God, I confess that before you this morning. Father, forgive me for thinking sometimes that I can do things myself mm. when really anything that I can do is only because of you. Father, we know that none of these things which we have confessed before one another are news to you. We know that you know everything about us. And yet the amazing part is that you love us anyway. Thank you that you forgive us. Thank you that we can always come to you. And when we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Father, in this next song, as we think about where it is we want our real focus to be, help, Lord, to bring us back to the heart of worship. In Jesus' name and for his sake and for your glory, amen.
be seated. Children, you may be dismissed. we realize what a gift it is to spend a few moments worshiping the Lord together as a church family. I was just taking the, 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 those few moments we've had together this morning and just appreciating hearing of Ron's faith, you know, thinking about how God has worked in his life, not just to, to lead him to salvation, but then to work in his life and to, to fill him to overflowing with love and gratitude and, and faithfulness in recognizing what God has done. I, I love singing the songs and being struck by the lyrics and being reminded of the faith that I'm a part of through those lyrics. I, I, I wrote down uh, just a one line from Blessed Assurance, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. Think about that for a moment because that's, that's in, in essence, that's the life of faith that we're invited into. To be filled with God's goodness, right? You don't, you don't have to embody, like, you don't have to work out being God's goodness. God fills you with his goodness by faith. And, and in that place, we're lost in his love. We don't have to look for it. We're, we're, there's so much of his love that he surrounds us with that it's not like you have to go looking around to find it. It's there right for you every moment of every day. It's a gift. It's a gift that we are forever thankful for. One thing that I am thankful for are the holidays. Now, I'm not like Nina. I love that we get to, as soon as, as Easter, or not Easter. <laughs> hmm, maybe that's a good idea for next year. Uh, as soon as Halloween is done, we've got our tree out. I mean, we didn't this year, but we will very soon. We're not waiting for Thanksgiving to be over. Why? Because it's, I mean, the festive, we love it, right? Not, that's not for everyone. That's for us Van Horns, but we love the holidays, right? And, and, and it doesn't mean I don't love Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. I love the food. I love being together with family. I love a full day of rest. I love having really very little, if no, agenda for our time together other than preparing and eating food and spending time together. I love it all. And there's a lot to love about Thanksgiving, isn't there, right? But the downside of, of, of looking at Thanksgiving as a holiday, the, the downside of, of setting apart a day to give thanks is that we start thinking that giving thanks is just something we do at a certain point, on a certain day, at a certain time of year, right? And I, I know we give thanks at other times of year, but when we've set apart a holiday like this, we kind of think, okay, well, this is the day where I got to remember, what are those things I, I want to tell people around the table that I'm thankful for, right? Have you guys had any of those family traditions where before you can eat your food, you have to tell everyone around the table three things that you're thankful for? And without a doubt, after the first person goes, everyone repeats what the first person said, right? Right, that's, that's, that's something we do on Thanksgiving, but I don't want us to get into this habit of thinking that Thanksgiving is the time of year when we're supposed to give thanks, right? That's, that's the, the problem with, with declaring Thanksgiving a, a holiday, making gratitude something we do at a, a certain time in the year, a certain time in our lives, certain circumstances. Gratitude is not something we do 
moment by moment. And in fact, if we do see gratitude as something we do at certain times of the year or during certain circumstances, I, I think it's, it's too small of a role for, for gratitude. It's, it's too small of a role that God has for gratitude to play in the life of his children. Now, by role, I don't mean those warm, fluffy clouds of baked dough that, that we get to sop up the leftover gravy from our plates, right? I mean, I, I mean what's our understanding of, of gratitude in the life of a child of God? It, it, it's a much bigger piece of the pie. It's a much bigger piece of the, the life of God's children. And so this morning, we're going to explore that, 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 that piece of the puzzle, that, 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 that role that God has for gratitude in the lives of his children. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're just going to read three verses together. Uh, three verses, I was reminded, are, are pretty famous verses in the life of the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. He's, he's writing to the believers there, and he says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Father, we thank you for your word, though it may seem familiar or, uh, or, or famous because we read it every certain time of year, Lord, I pray that you would bring new life to it for us, that, that your word would be living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, so that it would, it, it would have its way in us, Lord, that it would make us familiar with, and, and, uh, with your ways and, and understand more deeply the role that you have for rejoicing and praying and giving thanks in the life of your church, and more specifically in the life of your children, Lord. So have your way in us, we pray, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, gratitude is not something we do. It's an important part of the Christian lifestyle. It's a part of the lifestyle of those who profess to follow Jesus, right? Last week, we talked about how gratitude isn't, uh, it isn't really gratitude if we have to fake it. Gratitude isn't gratitude if we have to pretend to be thankful, pretend to be grateful, even if we're not feeling it on the inside. It's not something you can project on the outside but not really be embracing it and embodying it on the in, inner places of your life. Last week we talked about how we have every reason to be thankful in our new lives in Christ, and so the only thing that's keeping us from embodying this gratitude is noticing God at work in our lives. That this isn't just a, a, a story about a God that once did act in this world, but this is a description of a God who is alive and at work in the lives of, this, of his creation, the lives of his people today, doing the very things that we read about in your life and in my life. And, and so gratitude is something we embrace as we come, become aware, as we notice how God is at work in our lives. See, God doesn't offer some future promise to Christians that, 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 that then he invites them to pursue and just kind of holds just outside of their reach like a carrot held out in front of a horse on a stick, right? It's always out there, but never within our reach. That's not how God works. No, the more accurate picture, I think, of gratitude is of a feedback. It's a feedback strapped around the neck of a horse, and all we truly need is ours. It's there all the time, right? But oftentimes, 
though our reasons to be thankful, our reasons to have this gratitude embodied in our soul, even though they're right there in front of our noses, we don't pay them any attention. Can you imagine a horse running around a pasture, hungry, searching for food, the whole time with his feedback right in front of his face? Like, wake up, open your eyes. You don't need to run around looking for food. It's right there, right? And that's how we, we live our lives sometimes. We're running around a pasture looking for reasons to be satisfied, looking for reasons to be grateful, thankful, looking for reasons to rejoice, to be, to be content. And all we have, all we need has been given to us through Christ Jesus. It's there. Gratitude is a response that flows out of our constant awareness of all that we truly have in Christ. And not just some momentary response. It's not just saying thank you before our dinner or, or, or thank you at the end of our day. Gratitude is a part of a lifestyle of faith. It, it, it's a part of every moment of every day of our lives as we walk by faith in Christ. It's not just a, a feeling we have at certain times of the year or on certain days of the year. It's something that happens at all times. Now, before we get into the things that Paul says here in our passage and living a, a lifestyle of gratitude, I, I want to point out something from the context of our passage that helps us to see that this, Paul's talking about a lifestyle here. He's not talking about some, some momentary behaviors that we should be doing. He's not, it, it, you know, it's, some people like to think that the Bible is a list of to-dos, like a, a list of rules to live by. That's not it at all. It's an invitation into a lifestyle where all we truly need has been given to us and provided to us through Christ. And so what Paul is talking about here is not a list of to-dos or some behaviors that Christians should expect to live by. He's talking about a lifestyle. And I think we can notice that he's already talking about that from the greater context of our passage. See, here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul's talking about something called the day of the Lord. Right? And, and in the day of the Lord, he, he's, he's anticipating this time, this day that's coming. And, and he's saying to the believers there in Thessalonica, listen, you need to live in light of a day that will one day come. See, there, there are these days and times in which they're waiting on Jesus to return, to come back for his people, to do what he has promised to do, to, to take us with him to the Father's house where we can live in that house, in that home, in the household of God where Jesus has prepared a place for us. And these are the, the days that we're actually living in right now, waiting for Jesus to return, to usher in the final pieces of his kingdom. See, death has already been defeated. Through Jesus' death on a Roman cross and his resurrection three days later, death has been defeated. At this point in history when Paul's writing, <clears throat> sorry, Jesus had already ascended back to heaven to remain by his Father's side. You can read about that at the beginning of the, of the book of Acts. And, and there, Jesus ascends into heaven, and while his disciples are looking up into heaven, the angels come down and say, what are you guys looking at? That Jesus who you saw ascend into heaven, he'll return in the same way that he went. And so they went back to Jerusalem, and they waited for Jesus to give what he had promised to give, which was the gift of his Holy Spirit, as they wait upon Jesus' return. So at this point that Paul's writing to the believers in Thessalonica, Jesus' disciples had already been told that Jesus would return, right? And now they're waiting for him. 
The day that they are waiting for to finally come is called the day of the Lord. You, you can see it uh, written about numerous times in the Bible. And Paul tells them earlier on in our chapter that this day is like a thief, or it will come like a thief in a night. Right? Numerous times, again, this, this imagery of a, of, the thief, uh, of a thief coming in the night uh, and being prepared for a thief coming in the night is used throughout the scriptures. And really what, what the, the authors are articulating is that, that, that we need to be waiting, anticipating that a thief is coming in the night. We need to be vigilant, right? If you are anticipating that a thief is going to come, what do you do to your home? You lock the door. You set the alarm, Right? I, you don't leave the front door open and unlocked. You live in light of what you know will be happening, right? And, and so this imagery of the day of the Lord coming like a thief in the night is an imagery that's used to challenge the believers, challenge the followers of Jesus to be prepared. And not just to be prepared, like have, have a, a stocked up food in your basement in case of disaster. He's saying live in light of the fact that this day is coming, Right? To, to not be living their lives for some other purpose and then be surprised when, when Jesus returns. To, to, not, to not be wasting their time and their resources on frivolous things and then be surprised when Jesus returns and, and says, have, have you been taking care of the resources that I've blessed you with? What have you done with them, right? See, vigilance doesn't describe some momentary action. It describes a lifestyle. An ongoing lifestyle of preparedness and, and preparation. Vigilance is, is filling up sandbags in preparation for a coming storm. It, it's cleaning your house and decorating for a party and, and preparing the table with, with all the place settings for each guest that's going to be coming through the doors of your home. Vigilance is intentionally and regularly setting money aside in your 401k because you know that one day you will retire and you want to live in light of that retirement. Vigilance in faith is living a particularly hope-filled way in expectation of a promised and guaranteed future, right? Vigilance in faith is living a particularly hope-filled way, not, drudged, not, not like in drudgery or, or in, in, in want or in kind of obligation. You're living with hope. You know what your future holds. We don't have to be discouraged or distraught or scared or anxious. We know what our future holds. The Bible has taught us. God's word has, has been revealed to us what the future holds. So we live as vigilant followers of Jesus Christ in a hope-filled way with an expectation, not just kind of a wishful thinking, an expectation that Jesus is going to return. And when he does, he's ushering in the final pieces of his kingdom. And in that day, there will be no more sickness, no more sadness, no more tears, no more death. We are going to be living in, in this new creation that God has, the final piece of this new creation that God has given us through Jesus Christ. That's the vigilance that Paul was encouraging believers in Thessalonica to live out. And, and it was not just like momentary behaviors here and there. He's not saying, hey, make sure you do some good deeds here and some good deeds there. He's not saying, hey, make sure you try to, try to be kind. Or, or do. He's saying there is a lifestyle that you have been called to live into now in light of the future that has been given to you, assured for you. 
And so as children of God, we too know that we're also living in a time where we're waiting on Jesus' return. We're waiting for him to return and usher in those final pieces of his kingdom. See, in Christ, our past, our present, and our future sins have been forgiven in Christ Jesus. We've been clothed in Jesus' righteousness. We've been given the riches of his inheritance. He's, he's promised to return again and to take us to his father's house, right? This is the future that we are vigilantly, patiently, watchfully waiting for. The lifestyle that we're called to, to partake in, to, to embody, to live into, is one of waiting. But not just any kind of waiting, vigilantly waiting in. And this is not some like sit back and do nothing kind of waiting, right? This is not like I've done everything I can, I can't do anything else, so I'm just going to sit back and, and just wait for it to come true. So the type of time that we're living in is a waiting characterized by faithfully and persistently depending on Jesus, knowing of the future that's ours in Christ Jesus. I know it, it, it seems almost like an oxymoron to, to say waiting, but then describe some actions that we take. But, but that's the reality. The characteristics of our waiting, vigilant waiting, means there are things we are doing in the midst of waiting on God to bring to completion the promises that he has made for his children. So here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul, Paul may not say specifically that, that this is how a Christian behaves, Right? He may not use the word lifestyle, but, but lifestyle is what he's talking about here. He, Paul's not saying, hey, you guys got to mimic some behaviors here, like kind of imitate them. Anyone can mimic a behavior for a little while. I can look good for a little while. It won't last. I can promise you that. Ask my, anyone in my family, right? But but, but God's not, thankfully, God's not invited us to mimic him. He's not invited us to just pretend some behaviors for a little while. He's invited us to become like him, to actually embody a lifestyle like Christ's. And by lifestyle, not just live like him, but, but to actually believe, spiritually speaking, that God is transforming us to be like Jesus. This means how we conduct ourselves is not just the things we do, but they're who we are. Right? There's a distinction between what we do and who we are. And what God cares about is who we are, not what we do. Right? We don't love others. We're called to be a loving people. We don't do generous things. We're called to be a generous people. See, God invites us to live into this new lifestyle in light of the times and epics, that Paul, Paul used those words, times and epics in 1 Thessalonians 5. God invites us to live into this new, new lifestyle in light of these times and epics that we're living in while we wait vigilantly for Jesus' return. Not wait doing nothing, but while we wait vigilantly for Jesus' return. And, and this is a lifestyle in which God is transforming us moment by moment, day by day. So Paul may not, again, use the word lifestyle here in this chapter, but, but don't be fooled. He, he's, he's talking about more than just Christian behaviors. He, he's talking about the lifestyle of a follower of Jesus. So 
Let's talk, talk now a little bit about how Paul more directly challenges us to live out the, this lifestyle of Christianity. I think we can see this lifestyle seen most clearly through three phrase, phrases that Paul uses in our passage. Always, without ceasing, and in everything. Always, without ceasing, and everything. Always, right? We rejoice always, we pray without ceasing, and we give thanks in everything. These three phrases describe this ongoing, this unceasing lifestyle of a follower of Jesus. Right? We, we're always rejoicing. We're praying without ceasing, unwavering. Nothing will stop it. We're always in the constant state of prayer with God. And we're giving thanks in every circumstance. Now, that, that idea of rejoicing, praying, giving thanks, those are, those are the, the kind of the, the descriptions of, of, of what that life looks like, but always, without ceasing, in everything, is a description of the fact that it is, it's a lifestyle. Joy, prayer, gratitude, they all describe what our vigilance looks like. Paul doesn't say that we have reason to rejoice some of the time. He doesn't say that we can pray and meet with God, uh, you know, only for 15 minutes at the start of my day before I uh, get dressed and, and get in the car to go to work. He doesn't say there's a particular, only when there's a particular reason to will we come before God in prayer. Pray always without ceasing. And he doesn't say that our gratitude comes and goes with feelings of gratitude, with, with those, only in those moments when we feel grateful to God. No, rejoicing, meeting with, and communing with God and giving thanks are, are not behaviors that we do from time to time. They characterize a lifestyle, and this is made most clear in the words that Paul chooses to write at the end of verse 18. Paul says that we can give thanks in all circumstances because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Now, real quickly, those three verses are one sentence. So it's not just giving thanks in everything that is the will of God. It's rejoicing always. It's praying without ceasing and it's giving thanks in everything that is the will of God. Rejoicing, meeting with God in prayer, and giving thanks are all part of the lifestyle that God invites us into as Christians. This, this is God's will for your life. This is God's will for my life. To rejoice always. To pray without ceasing. To give thanks in everything. You ever, you ever wonder what God's plan is for your life? Well, this is pretty directly speaking to it, right? It, it doesn't capture the entirety of God's will for your life. But man, it, it's very clear here that at the very least, God's will for our lives is that we would rejoice always, pray unceasingly, and give thanks in everything, right? This is God's will. It's his plan for for, for your life. He, he wants you to always be filled with joy, right? He, he, he wants you to be continually in communion with him. Not just for 15 minutes at the beginning of the day or five minutes before you go to sleep at night. He, he wants you to be overflowing with thanksgiving in everything. So let me ask you something. 
How's that lifestyle working for you so far? Are you always unceasingly and in everything rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks? When when was the last day that you rejoiced every moment of the day? I, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, well, maybe my wedding day, but then... I mean, it was easier for me to think that because I didn't stress out as much as Tara did. But, but it, you know, even that, I could think, well, slow down and think, okay, no, that was a stressful moment. That was an anxious moment. I didn't know how that was going to turn out. Ooh, that, that was a bit awkward when, anyway. Um, it wasn't necessarily a moment of, in my, it wasn't a day in my life when I was able to rejoice in each and every moment, right? At first glance, we may think of these days and we're like, yeah, that was a joyful day. I, I was able to rejoice all day long in that. But the reality is, is you break your day into hours, and then you break your hours into minutes, and you break your minutes into moments, you're not rejoicing in every moment of every day, right? How many of you can honestly say that your first reaction in every circumstance is to give thanks? Hands, anyone? Anyone? Good. I'm glad I didn't have to call anyone a liar here this morning. No hands were raised, so that's, right? None of us. It's, it's, it seems impossible. It is, it is, actually, you know what? Here it is. It is impossible. But pay attention to this because this is key. This is the gospel, church. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. We cannot simply set our minds to and then out of sheer strength of human will be able to rejoice always. We can't out of sheer strength of human will be able to pray unceasingly or give thanks in everything. It's not humanly possible. But God is not a God who wishes harm and destruction on his creation. In a different context, Jesus says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And here is, is kind of that the clear moment where we realize the good news of Jesus Christ, that when he came to seek and to save the lost, he saved us to a life where the plan that God has for us could be lived out only by faith in him. Right? God doesn't want us to, to fail at the plan that he's laid out for us. He doesn't require us to live a life that we can't attain to. He, he's not constantly holding that carrot out in front of us saying, come on, just a little farther, then you're going to get it. Right? God is loving and gracious. He's patient and kind. He doesn't want anyone to perish or be separated from him. And so God not only wills and wishes that we live this way, that we live into this lifestyle, but he also equips us and empowers us to live this way. In Colossians 1.9, Paul writes, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. He's praying for the church in Colossae. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul is praying that believers would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, right? Not that they would work out what God's will is in their own strength, in their own wisdom, in their own wit, but that God would give it to them, that he would fill them with the knowledge of his will. None of us come to a knowledge of the will of God by our own intelligence or effort. God reveals it to us. See, our role in this relationship is, again, to pay attention to the will of God, to think on it, to consider it, 
to, to then respond to God's revelation of his will to us through the word of God. God's will is not a mystery to us like some things are in this life. God, God's will is made clear to us through the life of Jesus Christ. And so we don't need to wonder about what the will of God is. He makes it clear to us. Our responsibility, our role in this relationship is one more of prayer, really. It's just being dependent upon God to, to fill us with the knowledge of his will, seeking to meet with God in the gift of time that he's given us to, to, to think on, to receive the, this, the will, and to, to receive from him a knowledge of his will. See, this is why I think the word of God is so important in our lives. That it's not just some textual book that we can read and study and, and kind of master. It's a living and active word at work in our lives. It's something that God takes and quickens our hearts and minds to, stirs in us a longing for, helps us to understand in a way that no human brain could understand apart from God himself. And it's only in our meeting with God in his word that, that he quickens our hearts to it, that, that, he, that he stirs our hearts and, and, and makes sense of it to us. But then get this, because this, this is the part, I think, really drives home the gospel message here in our passage. Because God also enables us to live out his will, the will of God. Right? You may say, man, you, you may be, Dan, you're a pretty chipper guy. You could probably rejoice always. I'm not. Right? Like, I don't, I'm not as happy and chipper and outgoing as you are. But that's not what defines rejoicing in the Lord always. The only way that any of us can rejoice in the Lord always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in everything, is if God himself equips us and enables us to do this. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 20 to 22, 21, sorry. It says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. God is the active agent in giving us the strength, the discipline, and the ability to do his will. God is the one who equips us, right? He equips us with everything good that we may do his will. And then God is the one who is working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through whom? Through Jesus Christ, right? Jesus came to this earth to seek and to save the lost, but in saving us in saving the lost. He saves us to a life where he is working in us to accomplish God's will, God's plan for our lives. This is not a matter of Christians do better. This is an invitation for Christians to depend greater on God, to become one with God through Jesus Christ to share in the knowledge of his will 
and then to experience God's equipping to live into that will. So I don't want anyone to walk out of here today saying, oh gosh, that's ideal, right? To rejoice always, give thanks in everything, to, to pray unceasingly. I can barely stay focused on Dan's sermon right now. How am I supposed to pray unceasingly, right? None of us should walk out of here like that. Why? Because if you are a follower of, of Christ, if you prayed with the worship team during our time of worship, inviting Christ into your life, then you have the Spirit of God inside of you who is at work to accomplish God's will in your life, to, to, to make you, to transform you into one who is able to rejoice always, to pray unceasingly, and to give thanks in everything, to live into the lifestyle that God invites us into through his son, Jesus Christ. See, the will of God is not to help us look better, behave better in this world. The will of God is to equip us to live into a lifestyle where we're called to be vigilant, watchful, and faithful as we wait for Jesus' return and as he equips us to be vigilant in the waiting. So again, to rejoice, to be in constant communion with God, to give thanks and everything is only possible when we surrender and depend on God to make it so. Church, everyone wants to know what we're supposed to be doing in this life. Right? We all want to know what will make us happy or what will make us feel most fulfilled or whole. We, we all want to know our purpose, right? There, there's a reason why Pastor Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, sold so many copies. And it's not because he's a good author. Sorry, that was a bad time to take a drink of water. He is a great pastor and a great author, but the reason why so many copies of his book sold was because so many people want to know what their purpose is. He chose to write about something that's true for all of us. We long to know why we have been, uh, been planted on this earth and, and been called to this life. Another way of saying that we want to know what our purpose is is saying that we, we want to know what the will of God for our life is. Now, how many times have you said, God, why can't you just write it in the clouds of the sky what, you, what I'm supposed to do in my life or how I'm supposed to handle this circumstance or this situation? Right? We, we want God to, to just show us how, how, to, how to move forward. Right? We want to know what our purpose is. And like other aspects of the character of Christ, gratitude is not something we do. It's a lifestyle we live into, Right? It's, it's not just a purpose-driven life. It's a gratitude-filled life. It's part of the overall lifestyle of a child of God, a lifestyle in which God reveals to us the way that makes sense to us, or in a way that makes sense to us, the lifestyle that God has, has equipped us to embody. So the question I want you to think on today is, what role does gratitude play in your life? Where, where does gratitude fit into our, our values, and, and where does it pop up in our day? Where, where's my gratitude to God for the many things that he has blessed me with? Where, where's, where's my awareness of the many things that he has blessed me with? What role does gratitude play in your life? See, giving thanks is not blindly and rotely proclaiming words, before a meal or some words we utter before we drift off to sleep at night. I mean, the Bible recounts moments where Jesus gave thanks and then broke bread. 
where Jesus uh, offered up a prayer of thanksgiving to the Father. And, and for us, in reading that, that may feel like he's just saying words almost as like a, a recipe before you eat. But it's anything but that. It's a glimpse into the relationship between the Son and the Father, one of de- interdependence and reliance and faith, one where we're giving thanks, recognizing all that we have been blessed with. Gratitude is, is a lifestyle in which at all times, and in every circumstance, with unstoppable resolve, we live out of the abundance of all that we have in Christ Jesus. So church, what role does gratitude play in your life? God can and does equip us and enable us to live that, that thankful, grateful, gratitude-filled life, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what's going on in the world around us. God doesn't say that we're grateful because of, of, of these things that are going on or, or that which is about to happen or any of these things. We are grateful because of the God who calls us into a lifestyle of gratitude. And not just calls us into a lifestyle, but equips us to live that lifestyle out faithfully. Church, what role does gratitude play in your life of faith, in your relationship with Jesus? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that, um, Lord, when we're at a loss for words, when we're at, a, um, at, at this crossroad of feeling like uh, the next steps that we have yet to take are beyond our ability to take, we're reminded of your gospel. The gospel that says that though this is impossible with man, nothing is impossible with God. And so, Lord, I pray that for, for all of us, you would not just make your will known, revealed, and sure to us, but, Lord, you would equip us and empower us and enable us to live out the lifestyle, the will of God that includes rejoicing always, praying unceasingly, and giving thanks in everything. Lord, may we be that kind of people, a city on a hill that can't be hidden, because when we rejoice always, when we pray unceasingly, when we give thanks in everything, Lord, I know that that looks so much different than what's happening in this world. But Lord, may your church be a beacon of light to this dark world, to realize that there is hope, that, that, that we can live vigilantly in these times, knowing what the future holds, so no matter what circumstances we face between now and then, nothing will stop us from rejoicing always from praying unceasingly and from giving thanks in everything. So Lord, we pray that you would have your way in us, that we too might live out the lifestyle that is the will of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The words to our final song this morning were penned by a man who lost his children on a transatlantic um, ocean passage, and the captain told him 
when they were passing the spot where the ship had gone down and that his children had perished and as his wife had sent back a telegram to him saying, you know, the ship had gone down saved alone. And he purposed to give thanks in all circumstances, mm -hmm. not for the loss, but for the hope that he had in Jesus. We hope that as you sing this this morning, that it will firm your resolve that whatever difficulty, whatever buffeting Satan is bringing against you, to know with confidence God is working out his purpose for your life and that you would be able to say, along with the writer of this hymn, it is well with my soul. Please stand and join with us in singing.
Uh, good morning, Trinity family. Good morning. Um, I want to start by thanking you all for your time and attention as we share some exciting news about how God is working in our pastor's life and also the life and heritage of this church. I'm hoping that everyone in the Trinity community uh, can walk away from this presentation feeling confident, equipped, and excited. Confident in how much preparation and effort has been poured into this process in discerning God's will for Dan and the wider church. Equipped in the basic knowledge of sort of the who, what, where, when, why, and how. So the mechanics of the sabbatical, why are we doing this? And most of all, excited for the work that our living God has, is, and will continue to do in this church. Um, the title slide here alludes to a passage in Revelations 2 that you might remember earlier this year, Ms. Celine shared her own meditations on the meaning of pursuing a ministry sabbatical. And we're having this presentation now during our um, time of community and service here on Sunday because the ministry sabbatical is ultimately going to affect and impact our entire faith community. And in fact, this is what we've been praying for, a positive impact and growth in our deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. At the end of the presentation, I'd welcome anyone that has any more questions to come up. Um, if you want some prayer, uh, Bob and I here will be happy to help guide you. Um, and we will also have a time for sort of questions and answers even after this presentation, if there's anything that we didn't address. And finally, for those folks that love hard copy uh, papers, we have all of this as well out in the lobby uh, so that you can take it home, meditate, and pray on it. So without further ado, I'm, I'm going to just look at this first slide here for the updates. First one, praise God, we got the sabbatical grant for this upcoming year. So that's like a big, yeah. It's awesome. Um, the sabbatical period is scheduled to begin May 7th, 2023, and it will end with an entire church celebration on September 10th. You can just go to the next slide. Thank you, Don. Um, this is, again, just sort of a, a visual of capturing the timeline here. Uh, what I want to emphasize is, one, appreciation for the efforts of the sabbatical committee um, that includes Bob, myself, Ms. Celine, uh, Meg and George Cole, and also Donna Geiger, and of course, um, Dan and Tara. Uh, we spent the better part of the beginning of this year applying for the grant, um, and then we just found out at the end of August that it was awarded. So between uh, basically then, September, all the way to May, uh, as a church, we're going to be preparing together, right? Um, and getting ready for this. So that's part of the reason why we're here today. Pass off to Bob. Thank you, Josh. 
So um, you might want to know, when is the sabbatical period? So on May 7th, 2023, that would be Pastor Dan's last Sunday, and we'll have a corporate prayer and a send-off. May 8th through the 12th, there'll be final meetings with staff and ministry leaders. May 12th, Pastor Dan and Tara's, that'll be their last day here at Trinity before they begin their sabbatical. August 15th is when they return. August 14th to the 18th is Trinity Baptist Church vacation, staff vacation week. I guess we're giving the staff off a little, little time off, which well deserved. Uh, August 21st to the 25th will be the first week back in the office. And September 10th will be the official end of the sabbatical and the church celebration. Thanks, Bob. Um, I'd clarify just with that, uh, that one as well, that both, what you'll note is that both sides of the sabbatical period, they, um, they include church events as an entire body, right? We're going to send Dan off, and we're also going to have a great celebration in September as well. Um, and so, yep. Yeah, sure. Sure. Sorry. No, I, I can okay. You lied. Buy some time. Um, Part of the reason for those church events is that really this, this is an invitation for us to notice God together, is to, to notice God, kind of prayerfully approach this time as time to say, God, you know, wh how do you want to renew us as a congregation together uh, in serving together, in seeking the direction that God would have us go together? So those, those send-offs and the return is meant to be a time of reflection as well. Where do we notice God in these past, past couple weeks, few weeks, uh, months? Um, and, and where do we feel like God is inviting us to, to go in light of these things that we've been noticing and learning in this time? So, so it is, it's, it, yeah. It's a celebration. We're going to have all kinds of cool things happening in September. Um, I'm actually going to pause here uh, right before I hop into this and make sure, are there any questions right now about when the sabbatical is? This is probably one of the most frequent questions we've had. Everyone knows it's happening next year in May, right? Good? Yes? Okay. All right. Um, so here we're going to get kind of into the why, what is a ministry sabbatical. Um, some may recognize this slide. We, this was one of the first ones we presented earlier this year. Um, what I want to emphasize is really the sabbatical is fundamentally about a relationship. It's about God and Pastor Dan's relationship. It's about the congregation's relationship to God as well, and our renewal, our revival, right? It's what we're really praying for, and also our relationships between each other and those outside the church. Um, you know, there's scriptural basis for this, of course, in the Old Testament. You know, in Leviticus, we hear that there's special periods where um, it was mainly in relation to the fields, right, where every seventh year, uh, you know, those in uh, Jerusalem would lay their fields to rest, right? And also as a community, they would rest. So we have these special periods that we know are the origins of a Sabbath. What I'd also like to highlight scripturally is we see this spiritual habit in Christ's life as well. Uh, so in Luke 5.16, I'm just going to read this. Um, you know, many crowds are coming to uh, Jesus, and it says, yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. 
That Greek word for withdrew, it doesn't occur often in Scripture. What it means is to retire or to vacate away. And in fact, even one of the root words of that in Greek, I have it written here, I'm going to say this horrible, is uh, choreo. And that does occur often in Scripture. And what that means is to make room, to make room. You hear that in Scripture when John says um, to, you know, and, and Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, have you made room in your heart for my word? You haven't, right? So we want Dan to obviously have this time of rest and extended leave from ministry life. Um, the ministry sabbatical is not just a time for Dan to leave, but also a time of renewal for the congregation, and we'll, we'll get into that some more. What a ministry sabbatical isn't is just a vacation for Dan or a period of unaccountable absence. Um, so the next slide, I'll, I'll dig into this just a little bit more. Um, we often get, again, this question around, well, it wasn't well, just, just a long vacation, or what, what is the utility of the sabbatical? And we, we understand that. There's valid concerns there um, where that might be coming from, uh, you know, maybe from concern about church resources or uh, Dan and his family's spiritual well-being. What I want to emphasize is that, again, um, Part of that question, there's sort of an inordinate focus on what's happening with Dan, and it is very important that Dan's taking this time away, but the sabbatical is two parts. It's what Dan is doing to hear the call of God and to be shepherd himself, and it's also what the congregation is doing. And that's the part that we're really excited about, right? Um, so that is kind of alluded here. Um, a sabbatical provides a substantial time in which God is allowed to speak into our deepest spiritual recesses and bring cleansing, renewal, and hope. There's that promise of a great uh, revival there that I think we want to pursue. Um, one of the other misconceptions is I think in, in the industry or our, you know, our professional lives, we hear sabbatical um, and we think that there's a specific product that might be produced at the end of this period. That is not the case here. Um, Dan isn't going away to uh, pursue a thesis or to come back with some kind of dissertation. Um, you know, those sabbaticals are about a product and a pastoral sabbatical or a ministry sabbatical is about a person. And again, even more specifically, a person and their relationship, their spiritual foundation in Christ. Um, just some other things here. I, I don't want to linger too much on this. And again, we'll be here for questions. but. You know, we had said that a ministry sabbatical is not a period of unaccountable absence. Um, the Lilly Endowment Grant, which are the funds we're receiving, they actually specifically have fiduciary controls. So um, we have to report on how we're spending our money. Um, and also that the scope and purpose of the sabbatical includes accountability. So throughout Dan's absence, he will be uh, basically connecting with a spiritual mentor um, that he has known since seminary, who's going to be coaching, mentoring him um, as he goes through some of his own uh, spiritual journey in that time away. Um, and finally, again, you know, sort of uh, uh, the purpose here, why we're doing this, you know, this isn't, this isn't a choice or a, a path that we've just chosen uh, leaders in the church for the last two years have prayerfully discerned that the pursuit of a ministry sabbatical is biblical, it's justified, it's something we feel the church can really benefit from. Okay. 
I'll give it back to Bob here. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> so some basic questions you're probably all thinking in your minds right now. Um, what expenses does the grant, the Lilly grant, cover and what are, what are isn't covered? So the endowment funds will cover all expenses related to Tan, Dan Antara's sabbaticals, activities, and plans. All the payroll expenses for part-time office administrator during the sabbatical. An honoraria for any preachers leading services during the sabbatical. Funds to cover educational materials for the congregation and costs associated with celebration, uh, with the celebration and reflection event in September. Endowment funds do not cover staff salaries. Dana, Dan and Tara's status as paid staff members will not change during the sabbatical period. We'll continue to pay them as we would anyway. All right, next question. Can we contact Pastor Dan and Tara while they are away? Uh, and, and related, in what scenarios do Dan and Tara need to be contacted? Well, the short answer is no. Uh, the longer answer, though, um, obviously, in the event of a church member's death, it is reasonable to anticipate that Pastor Dan will and should be informed. Any conversations related to church business are strongly discouraged, and as this is the only, this will only contradict the purpose of the sabbatical, but will also deprive other church leaders of an opportunity to step up and serve. Uh, for urgent matters, funerals, significant uh, church business, uh, you can contact the elders at trinityfairfield.com um, and to connect with an elder one-on-one -on -one, you would, and this is all in the written material outside, tomlaceyhome at gmail.com. Another question, who will preach and lead TBC in Dan's absence? And related, who will coordinate special services and administrative duties? The Elder Board will field direct major church business inquiries, including staff inquiries, scheduling funerals, weddings, and other major events, and directing the normal affairs of the church. The sabbatical committee is finalizing a rotating schedule of both existing church leaders, which includes Pastor Moses and the elders, and guest speakers committed to expository preaching and teaching on Sundays. There will be a short, there will be support available to current administrative staff and or a summer intern to help with administrative duties during the sabbatical. And finally, we are, we are excited to see new leaders emerge in our congregation and utilize their unique spiritual gifts in serving God's church. Just a, um, a note on, you know, the contacts real quick. We listed the elders email there. Um, poor Tom, we've kind of called him out as the, the one retired elder. <laughs> um, but actually, for, for all urgent matters, um, two, two points of clarity. One is that Dan is currently on the distribution for elders at trinityfairfield.org. He will be removed. The second is that it's the easiest probably way to get in touch with us if there is an urgent matter or calling the church office. And I say that because you're going to get five elders and, and Pastor Moses on that email distribution. And we're all looking at it periodically, maybe throughout the day, right? So usually one of us will be able to get in touch quickly. The other thing I'd encourage is that get to know your elders. If you don't have my cell phone, I'm happy to give it out. I, I say that honestly without any pretense whatsoever. Call me. Um, and I'm sure, sure the other brothers alongside me will say the same thing. Um, 
So with that, the, uh, the last, one of the last questions we have is, um, you know, basically what are we expecting of the congregation during this period? And the short answer is just approaching this with an open heart and mind to the Spirit's leading. Um, you know, our vision, the, the Trinity Baptist vision, seeing the love of Jesus overwhelm and transform the families of our community, it's an outward-facing vision, right? Uh, so there's been some great work already done on, um, you know, encouraging serious discernment of spiritual gifts, right? What are your spiritual gifts? Every single person in here has a spiritual gift that's vital to the functioning of the church. Paul preaches extensively about this, um, in Ephesians particularly, that we all have a part to play, like a body has a hand and a foot. We need, we need each other, and the church needs everyone. Um, I want to give a shout-out to Bob Walter. I, I think he stepped out. He's already laid some of the groundwork for this in our existing discipleship programs. You know, Bob Walter is a former elder. He, uh, you know, he's been trying to train folks in helping with this process of discernment. Um, so some of this has already started. And then the last thing is, you know, just recently, a few folks might, might be in this group, but we've started um, expanding our deacons and deaconesses classes, right, to bring up new leaders. So there's a lot of work already happening towards this. Um, but I encourage you to think about, um, you know, your role within that um, larger vision. So um, with that, I, you know, we want to open this time up now for questions. I know we're all probably hungry and you're bored of hearing me talk. So uh, if there's any questions, we'd be happy to, to field them and, and answer. Yes, Donna. So, yep, great question. The question was, if you couldn't hear it, who will serve communion? Um, I would say tentatively the elders are going to probably take a more active participation both in, you know, helping with preaching but also doing uh, communion during that time, as we actually traditionally did. Um, and we might even, did, did this come back here? And then, yeah, so that's, that's my first answer, yeah. <laughs> Any other questions that folks have? No? Oh, wow. All right. Well, yeah, um, please, again, uh, this doesn't have to be the end. We'd encourage you guys, if you have questions that you just want to say in private or have a prayer, I'll be waiting up here with Bob, uh, and we'll close our time in prayer. Thank you. Hey, guys, uh, just as we close, I want to, um, this whole process was set out when Miss um, Lynn shared these verses with us from Revelation chapter 2, and John uh, was revealed this, this letter that was written to the church in Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. This is an invitation for us as a church. Let's not forget what our first love is. It's not what we do. It's not you know, the, the activities, the programs. We do. It's the, our love for the Lord that we share together, and my hope and my prayer, our hope and prayer is that the Lord would renew us in capturing that first love again and, and living abundantly out of that first love. So thank you for worshiping with us. I'm going to pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the food we're about to enjoy together through our brunch together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for a chance to gather as your people. We pray your blessing on this food that we're about to partake, this fellowship which you have provided. Lord, uh, we know that time is sacred. 
And you have set this time apart to be sacred in sharing fellowship together as followers of Jesus. So Lord, may, may you bless your church as we seek to, to gather together around you, Jesus, to, to recapture, to re-hold, take hold of our first love that is in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.